Hi, welcome to the Back to Be School podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sia. And before we begin the podcast, here is a message from the NUS MBA Marketing Club. The Marketing Club would like to invite fellow MBAs to register for one of the panel discussions happening on the 25th of January and 1st of February, Thursdays, 6.15pm at MRB. Co-organized with the Department of Marketing, these panel discussions have imminent speakers from top companies who will speak about career opportunities, skill sets, and hiring trends in marketing and sales. For more details, please refer to the email sent on 18th of January. See you there. With that, let's continue on to the second half of my interview with James Tuckman, where we discuss the meteoric rise of mobile gaming, pay-to-play business models, why MiHoYo has succeeded in the Western market and the current state of AAA games. Let's dive right in. I have two questions for you, actually. Um, first question is, everyone was very worried about Xbox exclusivity uh, because, you know, oh, Warcraft is going to be exclusive or Call of Duty is going to be exclusive. So I want to hear your thoughts about that. And then we'll talk about King after that. I, I think that was a real red... What's the expression? Red herring? Red herring? Red herring. It was a total distraction. Phil Spencer was more than happy to put Call of Duty on PlayStation or Nintendo or whatever platform he wanted for, for two reasons. The number one is that financially it just makes sense to keep it on PlayStation. I mean, PlayStation 5 and 4 is such a high install base. There's just so many PS4s in circulation that there's still many dollars to be made by having those titles on, um, on those platforms. And although the sort of MBA strategy slide would suggest that you should consolidate everything and put it on your Xbox platform and, and just do that. You can't ignore how big PlayStation is as a brand and as a platform. And so why not put your games on that and, and harvest that for all you can? The second reason is that it's an extension of the point made earlier. Like Phil Spencer is trying to find any way to make this acquisition palatable for regulators. And as long as it goes through, he's going to get the Candy Crush money. And so if he needs to you know, put some put some games on weaker performing platforms or any and or provide exclusivity for a certain number of years. He'll be happy to do that. If that's the only issue, sure. Like that's let's let's do it as long as you sign off on this. So I yeah. think he doesn't lose that much by signing these exclusivity deals. And I think it's a very easy table stakes way of preserving um, you know, the possibility of the acquisition in the eyes of the regulators. So I think it was a very good move. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it was. I think talking about is sixty nine billion uh, overpriced, and then you think about it like ten, fifteen years ago, Activision Blizzard merged for nineteen billion. So well, <laughs> it's a good deal, right? I mean, they <clears throat> called, they sort of like triple or whatever in, in value, and it's gonna keep tripling given how much gaming has grown. So speaking of King, I remember what's it was it three years ago of three, five years, five years ago, where I think Blizzard was at the height of all the scandals. And my friend was interested in, in buying, he doesn't game, but he's interested in buying the, the US stock. Uh, and I'm like, no way, man. Like they are like down on the dumps right now. And then after that, I went to go and check the, uh, their, their subsidiaries and I saw King. I'm like, okay, good. You can buy, go ahead. Go ahead and buy. <laughs> you have King, it's fine. You yeah. have Candy Crush money. It's okay. I think totally. what I want to say is that people, I think people really underestimate how big the mobile gaming industry is right now. Yeah, what are your thoughts on, on, on the mobile gaming industry? I think it's, I, I would agree with you, Brian. It's very underappreciated, I think, in, in terms of its commercial scale. And I think mm. I see this especially in North America. So in mm. North America, there's kind of this just 
very one-dimensional views like oh gaming is console gaming like what else is there like Baldur's Gate 3 that's all you need what else is there um and i i find that view very frustrating because there's like half of the half of the gaming revenues of the year come from come from mobile and so much of the growth comes from mobile and more specifically a lot of that comes from asia china largely but southeast asia as a region and even the middle east growing incredibly quickly and so i don't think you can have a very qualified conversation about the gaming industry without mobile being in the mix and you might have your reservations about the mobile gaming industry whether it's how monetization works or anything like that but it's like if i asked you who's the greatest basketball player of all time and i only gave you two options of like lebron or kobe and you'd go well, what about Michael Jordan? And you go, I don't really like Michael Jordan. So you can't talk about Michael Jordan. It's like, no, like you, you got to have him in the mix. You got to, you know, he's, yeah, he's yeah, part yeah. of the conversation. And same with mobile games. It's like, it's just too big. And whether or not you like it or not doesn't mean it shouldn't be appreciated for, for what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, coming to Asia, has been really exciting. Like I, <laughs> I had a funny moment on the, on the, uh, the Singapore MRT the other day, I was, you know, on the train, just waiting, listening to some music, and this really, really buff guy comes in, and I think he was doing his national service because he was wearing his full military gear. He's very, very burly. Oh, this guy looks really tough, really intense. And he kind of waddles into the train, and then he sits down, like gives this big heaving huff. Oh, I'm so tired. Whips out his phone, starts playing Honkai Star Rail. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, brother. Like. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. He needs his waifu. He needs his waifu to greet him and all that stuff. Exactly. And, like, I don't play Honkai Star Rail. I don't really like anime games generally. But, like, more power to him, dude. Like, what an awesome time. Like, you don't see that as much in in, in North America. And that's the gaming industry. That's half the gaming industry is guys like that just crushing Honkai on the train and rolling gotchas and, like, having a good time. So, more power to him. I think think the, the mobile gaming industry has boomed mainly because people have to get smartphones, right? Like, I'm not going to spend $700 on the PlayStation 5 or Xbox, but I'm going to spend $1,200 or whatever the amount is for a smartphone because it does more than just game, right? It's for WhatsApp and all that stuff. So, and because of the free-to-play model, I mean, mobile gaming is going to grow. Uh, of course, it's very it's high risk. I do a lot of gacha gaming myself, mm. so so I w- I'm quite familiar with with it from the consumer perspective. But going into the 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 sales and data, exactly what you said, um, the mobile gaming in 2023, uh, the total revenue for mobile gaming in 2023 is the same as PC and console gaming mm. combined. So it's totally. it's crazy, right? And yeah. I, I I spoke about this, but what what are your thoughts on like gacha gaming slash loot boxes? So for the listeners who are not familiar, mm-hmm. in in a lot of these games are free to play, so you can download them, you can play them for free. And if you want to get the better units, you kind of have to use the in-game currency to to roll for a chance, like a two percent chance to get like the the five star units and stuff like that. Of all, you could use real money, and I think that's where a lot of the money is coming from, right? And Western games like Overwatch used to have the loot boxes, which I think Europe, the Europe commissions, they really stopped a lot of the loot boxes. But what's your what's your take on that? Um, do you do you do you like it? Like I want to say is that in China, in in the Eastern countries, gacha gaming is fine. It's like you know, oh you oh you let's check gacha. I think we laugh about it. But in 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 the Western industries or countries that they they take it a lot more seriously. What's your perspective? I see it the same way, Brian. Like I, I think coming from 
the West, there is a sort of cynicism towards Asian mobile gaming as like this predatory, predatory, bottom of the brainstem, late stage capitalism, dopamine nonsense. <laughs> like you know, and wrong, it's like. Not yeah, <laughs> and it's right, and, and and it's just kind of like you know finger wagging, like that's not pure gaming, which is like a very elitist perspective, and and I think you're right in that it's it really is culture by culture, it really is country by country. So a good example of this is is Diablo Immortal. So Activision Blizzard released this game called Diablo Immortal. I think it was last year um, for mobile, the, and this is t- was it last year. Can I say, uh, don't you have phones? too much too much inside baseball for an nus nba podcast Brian. but yeah <laughs> okay okay sorry <laughs> yes, so, yeah, so, but, yeah. but yeah so it's a very popular game on pc it's like really typically a very pc dominated um game title and so they released it on mobile because there's a big mobile market and and the joke brian was making is kind of like the fan base wasn't too happy with this. And yeah. especially Western fans were really upset about how this thing was monetized. It was very, you know, buy now, buy now, kind of casino-y, let's call it, just to really simplify it. And to the Western market, they were like, this is just this is just the worst thing ever. This is, you know, ruining the IP and this is really, really bad. And I think if you ask an American person, they would agree with that. If you ask a Chinese player, they'd go, or a Singaporean, maybe, they would go like, yeah, no, this checks out. Like, this is kind of what we're expecting and what we're familiar with. And this is um, what we're used to. And we're happy with it. I think, so I think the, the short answer is like, it really depends on the culture. And there's sort of a moral relativism, I guess, in play there. But I think that being said, there absolutely can be a, a you know, you can take it too far. And I think it is important for, for regulators to keep a watchful eye on when mobile game monetization can get too predatory, especially with with young kids. I think we're seeing that with China a little bit. Uh, China imposed some regulations over the past few years on mobile gaming for minors. Part of it's related to monetization, part of it's just reducing screen time. But I think it's important for regulators to sort of keep an eye on this and watch this. I don't think it's good to let this go, you know, with no restraints. But the ethics and justification for it, I think, is on a country by country basis yeah it's it's tough right it's a bit like uh i don't know i don't want to get i don't want to get too political but it's a bit like the gun industry in in, in america sure. where where even though you want to control too much you really have very really strict gun laws it's good for the overall safety but gun industry will tank right and <laughs> as we saw that with that that rumor i'm sure you know right that rumor in the chinese uh, government saying that oh they're going to limit daily login quests or rewards <laughs> and immediately 10 cents <laughs> all the stocks just went yeah it. it's a bit scary totally oh. uh, yeah I, I'm, not, I'm not against that either like i think it really is case by case basis, and like, is the world a better place if there aren't daily login rewards? Maybe yes. Who knows? <laughs> like, you know, like may, maybe yes, um, maybe no. But it's uh, it is the gun analogy is not bad. It's similar to, to 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 the cigarette industry as well. Like, it is becoming an increasingly games have become an increasingly effective vice. Let's call it, and they can be taken too far. And uh, I think I'm of the mind like everything in moderation. You know, everything yeah. in moderation. So yeah. um, it's a very complex landscape, I would say, for games, but one that's mm-hmm. been fun to watch and see how different cultures and countries try and solve this this kind of puzzle that we're faced with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to look at it if you are you are not a young 
Chinese kit that has 42 hours of time a day or something. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, then I'd be pissed. If I was a Chinese kid in Shanghai, I'd be totally upset about this. <laughs> I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be upset. Yeah. Um, okay, speaking of Shanghai, um, my next topic I want to talk about is MiHoYo Gaming, right? Uh, MiHoYo mm-hmm. being the IP owner for Genshin Impact and Honkai Star Rail, which you already spoke about just now. So these two are really, really big gacha games. From the Western point of view, because I think Singaporeans were kind of more exposed to Western media than we are Chinese media. So in our minds, like, oh, like Genshin Impact is huge. It's the biggest mobile game in the, in the world. And then when I read your article, uh, the latest article, <laughs> Genshin Impact just made the top 15. The others in the top 15, none of them were MiHoYo. So mm-hmm. why do you think MiHoYo games... And now there's Honkai Star Rail as well. Why do you think they managed to penetrate the Western market? What what special sauce did they have? I think there's probably two factors if I had to think of them. I think similar to your earlier comment, Brian, how that the more smartphones in circulation, just generally, the more mobile gaming expands. I, I think the same argument can be applied, honestly, to anime, like as an overall like art style. Like anime as a as a as a medium and as a as a content type, has just exploded in, in the past, call it ten years. Like again, I'm not I don't I don't watch really any anime, but you know it's it's just incredibly popular. And if you're looking for a very polished anime title on a phone that has you know really good gameplay, like that's those are absolutely where you would go. So I, I think the advent and the, the expansion of the anime art style is one of the bigger factors. The second is just how polished those games are. Like the production quality behind MiHoYo games is very uncharacteristic for a mobile game. Like some of the cinematics, the character models, it's probably like, I don't know how big that game, how big Honkai is or how big Genshin is on your phone. It's probably like 10 gigabytes or something yeah. crazy. Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. huge, it's a huge game. Um, and, and some of the cinematics you see are, are things that are straight out of a AAA title. And yeah. so there's just this level of polish that makes you go, holy crap, what am I seeing on my tiny iPhone screen? For free. This is, you know, for free, for free, all for yeah. free. Mm. Um, and I think maybe just a one little plus one on that is is the cross-platform progression. The fact that this is just available on all platforms and your, your progress is saved. This, this taps into a Western market that has higher console penetration and mobile mm. penetration. So, mm. you know, that that's really great. And very few console games have that. So I think it's a combination of expanding the anime art style into the West, mm. really high quality, just good production and game design and content roadmap. It's just it's a good game. Mm-hmm. And... The, uh, the cross-platform progression. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, cross-platform progression, yeah. Yeah, the third and, one. That was... And we, we have a classmate, I don't know if you know, Esther, who plays a lot of Genshin, and she even <laughs> Genshin, so calling out here. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I got to talk to Esther about that. That's wicked. Good for her. That's yeah. Awesome. Next question. What are your thoughts on AAA gaming? There was a bit of a dip in, in AAA gaming during the COVID period, obviously, right? Being with all the studios shutting down, people working from home. But yeah, I would say that 2023, Two and 2023 were bumper years for AAA gaming. We have Elden Ring, we have God of War, Ragnarok, we have obviously Baldur's Gate 3, we have Spider-Man 2, blah, blah, blah. So personally, I feel that there's a lot more passion, a lot more innovation coming from the indie gaming market. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? I think it's a good point. I think what I found with AAA gaming, especially like licensed IP gaming, like let's say Spider-Man, is that you naturally have less innovation because the cost of production is so high and the risks you need to take need to be really dialed back. Mm. You're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on developing a game with IP that you want to take 
really seriously and really take care of as a developer. And you can really only charge 60, 70 bucks for a game. You really can't charge more than that. Sure, you've got other additions and things like that, but mm-hmm. bulk of your sales are going to be 60, 70 um, dollar games. So mm-hmm. what that means is that you can't take these massive swings on game design like you could on an indie title, for example, where you're selling it for 15 bucks or it's free to play. Mm-hmm. So I, I think naturally you, there's a little a shame that you kind of get reduced innovation on that front what you get in exchange for that is polish you get a game like god of war ragnarok that is just like a feast for the eyes you're just watching this and you're like how the hell did they make this the animations the art style models music uh um, voice the voice acting the voice, the voice acting like all these elements there's serious money to use an expression from from my days in the tv industry like there's money on the screen you can see the money on the screen like, <laughs> yeah. there's you know there's there's something there so I like that trade-off um, personally, but I, I would love developers of AAA games to take more interesting game design risks and you know get a bit creative with it. But I also the business person in me understands why they can't, and yeah, it's yeah, why exactly, I, yeah. it's also it's why I think publishers need to have a diversified portfolio of of larger established titles and and more fringe titles. So a good example of this is like electronic arts, right? So EA has got a pretty robust, mature portfolio of sports titles like EAFC or or Madden in in North America. They're Mm. pretty risk averse. These are pretty risk averse titles that don't change year over year and commercially perform very well. And then they've got this program called EA Originals, which partners with independent studios and provides some financing for them that are a bit wackier. So It Takes Two, which is a game you might be familiar with, got Game of the Earth a few years back, EA Original. Very unique, very creative. And that was done because of some big publisher um, support. And it was a great way for EA to kind of scratch that creative itch that many of their employees might have had. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's the trade-off really is, 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 is innovation versus polish when production costs are so high and the price you can charge for that remains relatively flat. Yeah, I mean, speaking of flat prices, we haven't taken our marketing module, but um, one of the four P's is pricing, right? And, you know, when people complain about, oh, the games are $80 now, but, um, but I tell them, but games were $60 for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so totally. you know, it's, kind of, it's kind of unfair given how much the... I mean, I'm not I'm not a triple A game uh, uh, tree hugger or, or whatever, but it's kind of unfair when these people when these uh, titles or these uh, studios invest so much into into a game for like two years and have like fifty hundred people uh, involved, and they only can charge sixty dollars. And if they try to yeah. charge anything extra, it becomes predatory. Like, oh, they're trying to get you know, uh, they're trying to get extra money off, uh, bring us out exactly. Yeah, so it's I kind of feel for them, but at the same time, as a consumer, I love my games to stay sixty seventy dollars. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I I'm in the same bind as you, Brian. Like. The yeah. MBA in me sees it differently than the consumer. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, um, before I want to uh, ask my other question, I have I have one more. So you make me think about when you talk about it, like Devolver, Devolver Digital, mm-hmm. right? They they have a lot of good indie games as well, but they're owned by Sony. So my next question would be like, if you were uh, the head of you know Sony Entertainment Division or Ubisoft or Activision, what would be the best gaming venture from a business point of view? <laughs> I guess I guess it depends on what gaps exist within let's say Sony's case or insert company here's case. So like, um, I, I think generally with interest rates falling and these companies have, have having pretty large cash balances, M&A isn't a terrible idea. 
IP, this is such a cliche line, but like IP is just never, it's just never been more valuable and getting access to that is just, is, is really critical. Um, it's a good way to buy, to buy cash flows at a time where it's really tough to make, you know, hits that do, do really well in the market organically. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the case of China, like I think it's like 50% of China game revenue come from, comes from the top hundred games or something like that, but there's thousands of millions of games. Like it's just, so how do you crack that top, you know, how do you crack that top half where all the money is, is the answer is to, to, to buy the studios that are operating in that space. Cause otherwise it's just too tough to, to pull it off. So I'd say M and A is, is worth considering. I think investing in the APAC markets, I think is something that Western publishers have are maybe a bit slow on. Mihoyo is expanding really fast into the West and eating their lunch, I think, in many ways. And publishers of the West need to hit back and, and find success in Asia. And those are the big ones. IP acquisition, market expansion. Mm. Um, but it's really on a case-by-case basis, I would say. Yeah, as, as, as what you say, depending on what the company, what the company is missing, basically. Mm-hmm. So with that, I think we have to, I mean, we could go on for an hour, James, but I think we have to cut it uh, because we're at about the 45-minute mark already. Um, yeah, oh boy. Okay. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll catch a beer. We'll get, we'll get a beer after this, Brian, or, and we'll just Yeah, I owe you a beer. For all no, the no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> well, I just want to pick your brain. I'm, you know, this has been a one-way thing. I want to hear all your answers to your own questions. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. For, especially for the toys industry, right? Yeah, maybe I should yeah, interview yeah. myself somehow. You should, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the podcast is me, but yeah. Um, yeah please yeah, let yeah. people know how, how they can find you, James. Uh, I guess just, I think maybe the best plug is the the website that we mentioned at the top. So that's jtugman.com if you want to read a bit more about my, whatever we were calling it. <laughs> uh, analysis. Take a, analysis, sure. Uh, t- take a look at that. But beyond that, I don't have anything else to, to plug. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Most people sure. say LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I guess I'm on LinkedIn too. <laughs> yeah. James T-U-G-M-A-N. Yep. Okay. okay. So thank you very much, James, for coming on. Thanks, Brian, for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. And that concludes the interview. I'd like to thank James for coming on to the podcast to share his insights. New guests in the next episode, so don't miss out. This has been the Back to Biscuit podcast. Bye for now.